Hey awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we recap and rewatch television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters can be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy, and we are watching season one of That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, and sitting here with me, um, currently devouring the corpses of his fallen allies, is the incredibly cannibalistic Caleb. you you, you got to deal with inflation somehow. Oh god, that's true. <laughs> the cost of living, like we're getting to that point, aren't we? I have a exactly. modest proposal. There's <laughs> a there's a direct pipeline between shoplifting and cannibalism. Yeah, um, yeah, this, yeah. You've got to make ends meet, you know. Look, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it's starting <laughs> to eat the rich. Okay, look, that's my. Eat I've always eat said, the eat the eat rich. Your comrades, gain their powers. <laughs> eat everyone, become a god. <laughs> oh my god uh we are talking about episodes 11 and 12 of season one of that time i got reincarnated into slime first one is gabaru is here and every time i hear that i think look smithers gabu is coming um <laughs> and then the gears spin out of control which is the nicest title we've had so far and has absolutely no oh i guess it's got a little bit to do with the plot um the, ge- the gears are certainly spinning Oh, something's spinning. Something's yeah. churning. Anyway, the the plot of these two episodes is Gabaru, the lizard man, shows up. He talks with Rimuru. He gets his ass kicked. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go away then. Then a dryad shows up and says, you must defeat the orc lord because they're cannibals. And then Gabaru returns to his home and goes, I'm going to take charge. Yeah. And that's it. That's the plot. That was 40 minutes. Like, yes. they went over so, everything like three times, I swear. Yeah. So, like... Is a bit of an issue when it comes to like sort of the earlier seasons before stuff really gets going, especially mm. in this interim thing where they are essentially going from the top of light novels of books, yeah. where essentially it seems like a recap for something you watched twenty minutes ago when really it's a recap for a full the last book. Ago. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, um, it did strike me as a very role playing game thing because. They're recapping for all the players who weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, like remember, this. this is the bad guy. This is the villain. This is the villain you've been fighting for three years. So remember who he is? Great. Yeah, this is for the ones with their fo- the members of the audience that are on their phones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, no, it's spot on. But, which, honestly, to be fair, is pretty apt because I actually do not remember like a full scene with Trainee, the Dryad. Um, from like the three other times I've watched this, and then I was actually seeing down. I was watching it with subs this time around. Yeah. Um, so I have to like pay attention. Um, and yeah, like just a full scene with training. I did not remember. Um, There's a lot of stuff about training that is incredibly forgettable. She does get better. Um, oh, she's good. Definitely one of the mainstays from the more slice of life portion. Yeah. Of- um slime i um, i can see okay if there's a slice of life version of this show there is. i'm i can see why it's so popular yeah um so this around about the time that they really start establishing um uh, you don't know the name of the city yet but by the time that like they start establishing this place as a proper honest to god city that's mm. when the show gets really really interesting Whereas at okay. this stage, it's it's getting your party together. And this is before you've seen what this party can do. Um, which right we're, now is just shenanigans. <laughs> we're halfway through the season. Like, that's a lot of shenanigans. I mean, yeah, this is like levels five through, or one through five of the of a, a D&D party. Yeah. And this is a D&D party where the, uh, where the DM has basically said, yeah, go ahead. Use use all the feats. Use all the unearthed arcana. Yeah. Whatever. It's also one of where they've gone, okay, here is a world. Go wherever you want. And they're like, well, we don't want to go wherever we want. We want to build a little village. It's like, no, no, you got to fight stuff. So uh, there's an orc army coming. What are you going to do? The trouble's coming to you there, buddy. You don't get yeah. to avoid this. Um, but you were saying that there was some stuff that irked you. How about we we eat the frog? How about we... Okay. Uh, or eat the orc, as it were. Yeah, eat the orc. All right. I was... I will always have problems with the obsession with giant boobs in anime. That's just a given. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Gabaru is like, oh, look, ogres. Oh, look, 
Shion's got giant boobs. I'm like, you're a lizard. Why do you care about boobs? Like, there's okay. There's another thing that you might not like later in the season that does actually kind of explain this. Oh, I'm um, sure. I honestly, as as a character, Shion so far is fucking awesome. Like, oh, I Shion love her. Great. Like that. That's the thing. Like, Shion is definitely like eye candy. Yeah. Um, fan service. But also, just as a character, is also just really, really fun. Yeah. So, it it balances out? Question mark? Okay, and then, at the end, there's just, there's, it's some poor writing that Gabbery takes control of the lizard folk, he kicks his dad out and puts him in prison, and, um... Then he's all like, oh, we're going to take on the orcs, but they can't take on the orcs because he doesn't know about the starb skill. The thing is, no one told the chieftain about the starb skill. Somehow oh, he no, knows so about the. I so don't recall him saying that. He said, you can't do this and we're going to have an, ally- uh, uh, an alliance, but he didn't say the orcs are going to grow powerful every time they kill someone and eat someone. I did, I miss- did I miss that? Possibly. I'm pretty sure that they do say that Soei comes in and basically gives them like the lowdown just like okay all kami's coming you can't fight them like they've got a starved ability um where okay an alliance here i almost um, missed the line where he said they've got a starved ability because it seemed like they just like it makes sense that's all they needed to do throw a line in saying that he did and mm-hmm. if they did then i missed it but mm-hmm. that is also something then that gabaru's father can just say to him and suddenly there's not a problem like this yeah. poor communication, so Gabaru fails. I mean, like it's it's very much Rimuru is now set up to save the day because other people don't know everything he does. I'm like, no, let them have their own honor, have their own pride, and stand alone and go. No, no, we can take them on, even with this skill, and then show them get defeated, and then Rimuru can come in. And it's not just we didn't have all the information, so we were stupid. It's like they they actually have a vice rather than just. Poor communication kills. Okay. So they do, like, later on in this episode, what you're looking for there mm. does get addressed. Later on in no, these no, no, two no, episodes no. that we just saw. Um, in the next couple of episodes. Okay. Okay. The, then I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give them some slack. Then. I'll give them some slack um, then. Because, yeah, because absolutely it would have been a better scenario for, like, the smart thing to do would be the chieftain going, Hey, th- these guys have a star ability. Like, if even one of you dies, they'll adapt. Um, yeah. Which and- it's it's so like it's it's also the star ability I like because it's that um mm. that comparison to Predator that that Rimuru mm. has. Like, I love that that mm. dark mirror. That's my whole yeah. whole gem. Th- there's there's a great parallel happening here that does get expanded upon. Like that that's really cool. There's also the aspect of but that one was weak. That one easily got killed. You don't actually want his power. He hasn't got that much power left. He's dead. Mm. Like I know, I I get there's other stuff going on. It's like he's devouring the magicules that are still within the body and blah blah blah. It's like eventually one will be the most powerful Gork Lord ever. Mm. And I guess it also comes back into um what we were saying last week about um sort of the weird eugenics that can be inherent to a lot of fantasy and to some degree this series does actually utilize as a red herring um you know you've got these guys being like oh you know we're no they're just some orcs we can take this on um and then suddenly just like oh you know this is taking on that that was like taking on an ogre or it would take a thousand of us to take on these guys. It becomes like a major, um, you know, there's obviously a set power hierarchy that um, the second that Rimuru comes onto the scene, everything is sort of thrown out of whack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I mean, I, I like that idea that there is this set, that set hierarchy before the character shows up that the character changes things, and that means that the hierarchy that did exist does not matter anymore. Absolutely. Okay, here's the best example. Gobta still looks like a goblin, even though he's a hobgoblin, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter what you look like. It matters what you're able to achieve. Exactly. And that's that's the whole... That's that's one of the major themes. Um, 
the uh, collectivist idea, the idea that, you know, in the end, people are stronger because they have worked in combination with other people. I mean, that sounds like commie talk to me. Oh, that's that's the Reds talking. <laughs> oh, shakes fist in McCarthyism. Um, but, yeah, it's a major, major point of this series that hmm. they, um, you know, which sort of was highlighted to me after our talk last week, where, yeah, they do have, there is that sort of um, fantasy style hierarchy of races and of classes and stuff like that that suddenly gets thrown out of whack which honestly i think is something that's worth doing and something that actually um dnd has been trying to do with this latest release to mix results i will admit um, i don't think it's necessarily dnd there is something in the dungeon master's guide that when they i mean for all its its flaws when they're talking about building adventures they have all these incidents that can occur in your game world that kind of start events rolling for your adventures and it might be an earthquake it might be the change of rulership it might be a revolution it might be a flood it might be a demon coming back but the point is the status quo has changed and now adventurers need to do something mm. and that's kind of what this is that the status quo that was veldora that was just oh, there's a powerful being in the forest but we're not really going to do anything about it has now changed and adventures can now occur that there can be heroes and villains because of that and that's that's good storytelling to me that's what we need to take away from stuff like that yeah absolutely um especially if there is some sort of strict hierarchical system people are really really clued into the idea of sort of smashing pre-established hierarchies at the moment especially um for many 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 reasons which may be um, linked to my latent cannibalism. Yeah, um, look, we're not going to get into that. Was <laughs> Arnie Hammer was bad enough, but uh, yes. Oh man, it's it always Side comes note. down to cannibalism. Just timeshare, um, like he's doing timeshares and supported by Robert Downey Jr. But that's a, that's a different sure. podcast. Sure, um, that is a very different podcast. <laughs> all right, let, let's go back in into this. Let's let's what what are some of the things you want to talk about? I think I've got all my my problems with the episode out of the way. Mm, good, good. That that frog, that orc is eaten. Mm, delicious um, orc. Mm, yum yum. Um, so I think the one of the good things that's um starting to come out from this episode, especially now that you've got the ogres in, mm. um, slash the Kijin. Um, who now start adopting certain jobs around the place. I think yeah. one thing I would love to talk about is the concept of making jobs um, a part of your a part of your campaign. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the easiest things to do, for example, is a blacksmith um, who's also an artificer. Like oh, that's one of those things, yeah. Little extracurricular activities that your party does besides the whole saving the world stuff. Yeah, like um, they they've got their class, and that's the thing they're good at. But what's their job? Like, what do they do? Yeah, yeah like what I love what that pays their bills when they aren't you no know, really needing like their main career, like mercenary pay. Yeah. Um, or hell, what's the stuff that they can contribute as part of a party? Um, not just in terms of the combat, but like you see it with rangers where they're pretty good at like foraging and um, no hunting. Um, but, you know, what does that then lend to? Are they particularly good at tanning as well? Or are um, they the, the camp cook every day? Like, are they the ones that has yeah. breakfast ready when everyone wakes up? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, you see um, Shion, who's normally a... Like, let, let's say that Shion is more of a barbarian type. Sure, um, that tracks. Um, she is also acting as both bodyguard and secretary. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, suddenly, like, you know, your barbarian character is... Could be the... Um, it could start being a bodyguard for um, quite a 
like for a, for a noble family or a royal, for example, what comes as a part of that particular job? Um, you got well, that creates more adventures as well, because it's mm -hmm. like okay, you're just a regular bodyguard. Now there's a bigger threat. Maybe we'll get the rest mm -hmm. of the party involved, or they have to go to a high society function or something. And now you've got the barbarian having to deal with all these nobles. Absolutely, and like that's that's the thing. Like that's definitely um, a great downtime activity. Um, like we were talking about downtime last week, but yeah. this is probably the what I think is probably one of the best ways to use downtime, which is okay when event adventures not afoot. What are you doing to pay the bills? Well, yeah. what are you doing to um, you know, chill out, spend your time just being you? Um, like you know, I think D and D fighting. D&D tried to do that with backgrounds. Like 5th edition tried to do that with backgrounds where it's like, this is what you did before you're an adventurer. But there's never really anything, this is what you do when you're not adventuring. Like you can end up owning a bar or something. That kind of ties in with all the adventures. I mm -hmm. love the idea that it's just something that kind of occurs. I've had a couple of characters. I had a rogue who in world was a priest. And um, this is a very low magic world, so clerics weren't necessarily always magic users mm -hmm. uh, in, in that world. But everyone kind of went, yeah, yeah, but you're a cleric, so you can heal. He's like, I'm not that kind of priest. I just, I, I just kind of fell into the job, and now I, like, steal from the collection plate to pave my gambling habit, habit because he's a coward as well. So oh, yeah. very much the rogue archetype. He just also has, you know, the dog collar on. Yeah. And and that's the kind of thing I love that you come up with come up with a personality in the character first and then go, well, what's the fun role for them to play? Exactly. Um especially also if you have a high magic world like slime. Yeah. Where you can then suddenly start working in the really fine details. Um the stuff that Shuna ends up doing with weaving. Um, oh yeah, we saw some of that with the silk and stuff here. Exactly. There becomes this really um, minute, these really minute details that you can start going into because your party is working with this world on a um, very fine detail, um, in, in a very finely detailed way, rather. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, give, give your party members just some jobs to do in their downtime. Um, there's been a few times I'm running a spell jammer campaign and they wanted to be pirates. And I said, okay, cool. You're oh, part of a spell jamming Yeah. It's like, if you've got a ship, you've got a base, well, then you need a job on the ship. Like you're not just there. Someone's got to be the first mate or the captain and someone's got to be the navigator and someone's got to be the deckhand. It's like, these are things that if you don't have someone to do them, you've got to hire someone to do them. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to do if the the characters then have a point. And it then also means when something happens, they can make roles. They can affect those outcomes. Like if there's a storm, suddenly those deckhands have really got to work and make skill checks to make sure the sails come down. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, I love that idea of giving them jobs and working out what is this world? Because you can't just be a class. Like what is your purpose when you're not you know, out killing monsters. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, and like you say there with the crew stuff, um, it also is, if you're feeling maybe a little bit um, uneasy about it as a, um, as a world builder, it, mm. it doesn't have to be like a full on city. Like it is with that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Yeah. It can be, or that time slime, as we call it here. We do. Um, we do. It's, can be somewhere like a ship or a bar or a shop. Yeah. You know, what are you doing to maintain this place? This is what I love to do in session zero. And it just can come down to how do you know each other? Mm. Like um, it ends up being, well, such and such is a wine merchant and I'm the guy he goes to when he needs something a little bit dodgy because I'm the rogue. And then you got his sister who's, you know, the money person and has gone into clerical orders. And so it's like you find the way they connect and then you've also got a little bit of a story about it too. 
and jobs and things like that are so good for it. Mm, absolutely. it's um, It also saves the DM a lot of work for trying to figure out, okay, how do we get everyone in the same place to start this off? Ugh, yeah. Gosh. Rather than they just all happen to be there at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Like, if it's a big world-shaking event, then it can be pretty easy to just sort of be like, okay, how did this affect each of you? But if you don't want it to be, like, a full, like, this thing absolutely happens that is outside of your control, mm. um, then... Yeah, like stuff like having your players know each other, especially through a job, um, is going to be the best way of just making it so much easier for you. Because then also a job is an inherently status quo thing. Yeah. So um, how is your so... job affected by all these things that are going on? Exactly. exactly. And it gives you motivation. It's like if you're a baker and now suddenly like everyone's not buying baked goods for whatever reason. It's like, well, I'm going to go out and stop that and everyone can start buying baked goods again. Exactly. Um, I think with one of my um, parties, uh, the main thing that sort of set them off sort of being like, okay, what's going on here? Um, was, it, it was sort of difficult because it was sort of trying to get everyone desperately going. But the main thing was that these guys from the Thieves Guild had encountered this sort of counterfeit money that they hadn't seen before um and it had the mark of like the maker's mark of one of the other um characters um so they had to go and figure out okay what's what's going on there like what's what's their connection here whereas the person that had the maker's mark is just like i just had this off my master um i don't know what this my this basically this inherited mark is doing on the back of this thing um on the back Ooh. of this currency um so yeah it becomes this whole thing of just like okay well where's this coming from what's it being used for and um what effects is it going to have writ large as maybe more and more black market deals start taking this currency on definitely not crypto definitely not crypto no i, <laughs> I have not based it on crypto at all that is an absolutely unforeseen circumstance <laughs> and I am, it's not going to turn out to be some critique of how cryptocurrency is used. Um, but, but speaking of black markets, I, I want to move a little bit away from the jobs and, and like the backgrounds and things, because one thing I did, this is just like a minor thing, but it got me thinking was when, from the episode, when, um, Shion accidentally poisons, uh, Gobta. With mm. the whole, like they they pointed out, it's like, is this the trope where the the beautiful yeah. woman's like a horrible cook? Oh no, she can't cook. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, your your conservatism and like family values is showing now. But then when yeah. he accidentally poisons Gobta, who then develops poison resistance, like, all right, this is you know I'm liking this, but also the idea that poisons play, like poisons when I've used them in games always end up just being something you stick on your weapon and it gives a little bit of extra damage. But this idea of putting the poison in food, suddenly it becomes like a whole, um, like an intrigue of how do you set up to get the, like if it's not something you put on a blade, if it's something that has to be dropped in their ear or it's something that mm. has to be breathed in, how do you get it to actually, uh, what is it called? Um, I'm thinking of the word contagious. No, that's not it. How do you get them you to, to minister? That's it. Thank you. Administer. How do you administer to, to them? Mm. It's, um, yeah, absolutely. Like, what's the method of ingestion of this thing? It and then becomes, also, hmm? you go. Uh, so, largely, I find that I've never used poisons on, um, on weapons. I think, personally, like, there's so much magic and stuff flying everywhere that mm. poisons are best left to those intrigue things. Or even just, like, here's the thing. There's this idea that poisons have to be something inherently um, bad. bad or yeah. deadly. Um, but there's a, so much stuff, especially um, with, like, Feywild stuff or maybe, mm. like, some sort of trickster or something like that, where the poison just makes you do random stuff. 
Um, you know, suddenly yeah. you're clucking like a chicken for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, like, and if you just say to someone, okay, you are poisoned, here is the effects of this, it can also be a great point of role play at the table. Mm. Um, and I guess can also then lead to little comedy bits like you see with the whole, um, you know, eating the poisonous food, um, the whole trope thing. Yeah, um, it's it's the it's not you're not getting poisoned by some sort of poison. It's just very bad food, and then you can play pranks on other people with that, or maybe it's something that just incapacitates you for a certain amount of certain amount of time, or maybe it makes you go blind, or it's it's what we were talking about with curses a little while mm -hmm. ago as well. That it's the same sort of come up with some other effects that aren't just you take a level of exhaustion and have disadvantage on rolls. It's like yeah. let's. Let's come up with some interesting. Maybe you can't see the color blue, yeah, anymore. Maybe yeah, you, you start taking disadvantages to your perception checks because you can't differentiate color. Yeah, um, but and just these interesting things, or maybe you don't. It's something that just means that you bleed a lot more and you do take yeah. more damage, but it's not inherently something that will kill you outright, and you yeah, don't even absolutely. notice for a little while. Yeah, poison is something that is underutilized mm. but has more variety of uses than people give it credit for usually people will go down one certain route which is either it is used to incite intrigue or it's used to do some extra nonsense in combat um mm. which does arise from sort of that dnd dichotomy mm -hmm. um the whole Okay, is this is this role play or is this combat? Yeah. Um, and is... sometimes it's usually just one. Exactly. Exactly. And trying to find ways of just like, okay, how is this thing that is being used in combat? How can it be used in a role play fashion and vice versa? For example, I would say that if someone has made a particularly heinous bowl of food then it is worth putting that on your weapon. Um, <laughs> or perhaps it's like, perhaps the food is weirdly flammable and suddenly like in the path of trying to make, I don't know, a soup, you have ended up making some sort of acid splash. Um, like, like effect, yeah. Effect, yeah. I... I remember many years ago, this is going back to like, I don't know if they still have it, but it's, no, they must not. Going back to like the mid 90s for Warhammer Fantasy Battle, the Empire Army had something called the Halfling Hot Pot. And the story behind this, Halfling Hot Pot, the story behind this was that during a battle, the, um, the goblins attacked the Empire Army much earlier and ruined the Halfling's meal. Which they were um, they were trying to prepare, and the chef was so incensed that he poured as much pepper and spices into his hot pot as possible and launched it at the enemy, and uh, that actually ended up dissolving a number of enemy troops, and it became this famous thing that now they just fire soup at these at your enemies, and Absolutely. that kind of thing. Like someone you give the the barbarian the thing, and it's like they've made something so bad that it starts to get used as a weapon. It's like, no, no, we'll keep doing that. We like that you do that, just not for us to eat anymore. No, absolutely. And, like, that, I guess that comes back into, like, the jobs as well. So, like, suddenly a cook functions well as also, like, some sort of demolitions master. Um, yeah. Your rogues has started making rope out of spare bits of fabric. Um, or because <laughs> they took, out, uh, took up knitting. Um, oh, like, that like that would be cool that would yeah. be really really cool yeah um but i like i mean poisons aren't necessarily something that you have to have something can be poisonous as well absolutely like again it comes it gives other the players who pick something like a ranger something to do mm. like it's like i know this about it and it it ties in with so many more options just the idea of poison in general it's like someone's being killed and it's like they just look like they're dead was it a curse was it a magic was it a poison now you've got to have to work it out and if it's a poison suddenly you have like magic you know well it's high power magic someone's going to have to have used it we can figure that out sort of who's got the potential to do it poison it's like it could be anyone oh man 
imagine like a foraging system where Ooh. you sort of like okay so you've made this weird wonderful world um and maybe like you're trying to forage and it just so happens that you've made a collection of mushrooms that all have various effects one of them um you know poisons you one of them makes you breathe fire one mm -hmm. of them is a great garnish and one of them straight up transports you to the Feywild. Mm -hmm. And um, depending on, may maybe you make a little chart that tells you, okay, you've run a survival check. Here's what it is. And if you want to ascertain what it, what it is, you sort of have increasingly specific details about the mushroom. Um, okay. So like the dots or um what it looks like on the bottom um yeah so on um i don't know if you've ever played like pathologic um no or anything like that um it's like basically a ghost hunting game where you have to try and figure out what the ghost is mm -hmm. um but it would be essentially the same sort of thing as you sort of try and find these clues about this particular mushroom and then in the future if you encounter it again you can be like okay so this one has got like sort of a a ridged underside this one's safe to eat Whereas this one does not, and this one will, um, unfortunately, give us all a point of exhaustion. Um, it feels like you need to give the players a chart for when you're describing oh, yeah. what they find. No, no, no. They make the chart. Oh. Chart. That's going to be all them. Yes, I love that. You just described, this one's got red spots. You're like, okay, I guess we eat it. Cool, you start to grow wings. Yeah. Oh, that's... that's Especially in high fantasy environments where you can just yeah. go, yeah, nah, this stuff, this stuff works. Yeah. High fantasy, um, high magic environments in particular, I don't know how anyone is like a, an omnivarian or like not a, a vegetarian. Because the number of talking pigs and like awakened animals and stuff, how are you eating animals at all? Like, yeah, yeah. you don't want to cross anything. Yeah, it's... um. That was the polymorph prince that someone turned into a deer. It's like, ooh, ooh, that's awkward. I, I thought it tasted a bit rich. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Eat the rich. <laughs> but yeah, so that that would be the stuff that would definitely go on from both food and poisons there. I think we're all about eating today, honestly. Oh, yeah. We're with cannibal orcs and, and eating poisons and things. Uh, mm. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. Uh couple of other things. Speaking of the rich, actually, let's talk about Gabiru. Oh, fucking Gabiru. I love Gabiru. Oh, He's I so stupid. So much. He's so stupid and adorable. He, like, he has three brain cells, and each of them <laughs> really are taken does. up individually by his cheer squad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is spot on. Like, he is the pragmatic ideal for the NPC that the party adopts. Oh, interesting. See, I thought he, he was the um the the bard that's put all his points into charisma and dexterity. Oh yeah. Like he has bard. nothing else. He has yeah. no skills in anything else, but his charisma is fucking amazing. So people exactly. kinda like him anyway. Exactly. Like Dump stat, intelligence, dump yeah. stat, wisdom, dump yep. stat, constitution, dump stat, strength. Like, <laughs> um, he does have some moments for dexterity in the next one, but absolutely. This is a player that basically rolled three dice, rolled absolutely crap, and said, I'm still going to play this character. Yeah. This reminds there's a uh, Viva La Dirtly sketch where it's basically what if you put all your points into charisma and it's like it shows the stats and it's like charisma 300, everything else one. And he just goes around seducing everyone in the world, including the final boss. And this kind of tracks for that. It's like charisma 20, everything else who? And it's yeah. like because I couldn't go lower, damn it. Yeah, it's like, oh man. But yeah, um, Gabiru. So I, Gabiru, he's special. I do like that he's, he feels more like a character than a joke character though, because he has that dramatic entrance. Like he's like, I've oh got his, his little soldiers and he's got his, 
thing. And this made me think about how you introduce NPCs and give away what they're like through a few words. Like this compared with, say, uh, what's the the blue-haired Kajin's name? Oh, what's, Soe. Soe. When Soe comes to talk with the chieftains, it's such a different entrance. It's like the your entrance was good, his was better. Like Gabarus is full of pomp and pomposity and like this this I am the greatest and you will kneel before me. And whereas Soe's is just this calm, collected, I respect you, but I will also not take your shit. He's not like announcing himself, he just keeps it very calm. And just that that difference in their personalities anyway, you see from their entrances. And again, Trainee's entrance, like her entrance is dramatic. She like rises up out of a, a flower and you know everything mm-hmm. kind of about her from that. Exactly. First impressions are such a big thing. Um, and a lot can be said depending on how you first present your character. Mm. Like, or your NPC, I think, in these NPC. cases. Yeah. Um, like... It's why I like doing the whole vignette stuff when I mm-hmm. first start out with um, with a game. Usually it's a situation where I run a vignette, especially if it's a homebrew game, to sort of get people established in the world and to get them established on where their place in the world is. Now, I know um, what a vignette is, but some of our listeners might be thinking that it's some sort of vinegar or wine combination. Uh, yes. um, so for anyone that doesn't know what a vignette is, um, think of it as a short scene uh, that is usually focused on one, maybe two characters if yeah. they already have like a deep connection. And usually it is very much either a role play scene, a very quick skill check, or maybe just a tiny combat. But it should allow your characters to establish something key about their characters. Um, critical role in the last two seasons or campaigns have done that quite well um, yes. for their first episode because it does have these are the characters already have a connection we're going to have a vignette with them we're going to see how they interact and then we're going to jump to somebody else who's in that same area and mm-hmm. the adventure technically starts when all the groups come together but let's show them leading up to that point so the audience or the other players get to see what they're like too in full honesty the place that I stole this from was Dimension 20. Fantasy yeah. High has an absolutely stellar big um, opening yeah. just by having the different characters getting ready for school. Yeah. Like, um, if you can find some way to make these v- vignettes, like, thematically interconnected, um, that is, like, chef's kiss. Not... Um, not necessary like it's not an essential but it does make your life a lot easier if they are all connected by a theme because then it's it already feels like your party is connected um in some way before they even get around to the whole becoming a party thing yeah i think Um, it, it it it's not just parties i think it's when you're introducing a monster like you can tell the players or tell the players what type of encounter you're expecting this to be based on how you describe it or how they they get to interact with it. If you have someone who seems like a ridiculous, like over the top, silly person, that's the, how they're going to respond to it. They're going to throw pies at him. They're not going to just shoot him in the leg. Because it's like, well, look, he's he's not no threat to us. But if you have the dragon come out and the dragon's like this menace, like you make sure there's words about menace and like the the potency of it and like the smell of its breath and how it knocks, like the breath passage of its wings knocks tiles off buildings and things. You get that sense of power without having to show them numbers or show them like the actual the actual facts about it. And, I mean, that stuff is also very much supported in the mechanics as well. I, I don't know if I told you about how I introduced, um, like, sort of a minor big bad in one of my campaigns. Um, sort of the one that was in the intestines of a dragon. 
Okay, um, I'm intrigued already. Okay, so essentially it was this huge war um, mm-hmm. against the party and this necromancer who basically said, look, just give me the one member of your party that I need to do this ritual um, or I'll just need to take everyone's blood. Sure. Like, that's that's what I'll need to do. They basically said, no, we're going to fight against you. So the necromancer just like, sweet, well, let's start a war. Um, they do end up fighting a few of his mooks, a cup, um, a a drag a zombified dragon that um they the necromancer they brought back from the dead and then uh after about like an hour's rest they see the dragon's intestines um sort of moving twitching a little bit so the paladin who's like sort of the biggest most stable uh, person in the party comes forward sort of looks in and actually like cuts the intestine open looks inside and just sees this glinting eye meet his gaze and i get that um him to roll a wisdom saving throw he fails and so he is stood in fear at whatever is inside the dark of this dragon's intestines um until eventually like these um like these flies just all come streaming out and eventually form into the shape of that necromancer who is currently puppeting the corpse of a uh, of that um, dead master of another party member. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so that's how. <laughs> That, so that that's happened. How you do fear. That happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that, that gives you then. So that happened. Um, yeah. That's yeah, um. So, that's an introduction. Yeah. That's that's and, how you do an entrance, especially if you know that it is something that your party is good at. Mm-hmm. If you make someone that is supposed to be like your absolute strongest, best at this sort of thing, and um, the, through sheer luck of the die, you manage to trounce them. Oh, it, the fear that it instills yeah. in people. Particularly when it's, you can make it the sheer luck of the die. It's fan. Like I remember talking about the wharf effect in previous episodes where it's mm. like, we got to show how powerful someone is. So whoever the most powerful is, we're going to smack them down. It's like, no, if the yep. dice just do that for you in the first place, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, I remember the first time I introduced Strahd to a party. And mm-hmm. he showed up on top of a rooftop going, this town is now forfeit or whatever. And mm-hmm. the rogue yells out, cry more, emo boy. And I just didn't even respond. He just looked over and I just said, make a wisdom save because he just cast blight on you. Because uh, that's all he needed to do. He's not going to respond to that. He's mm-hmm. just going to look at you and you are going to feel pain. And the dice then decided how much damage they took. It didn't matter what like it actually did to them. It was more about that response. It was more yeah. about how they see him act because of that. Yes. Uh, and the dice, the dice are less important for that. It's just, this is the actions that are taken because of it. This is the, the feeling you get from it. This is why you suddenly see whether or not that, that paladin in your example made the save or not, you know, it can do something just by looking at you. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying. Exactly. Um, it is one of those things that, unfortunately, um, we would love to have a winning introduction and, like, you know, strike fear into the heart of your players Yeah. every single time. Yeah. But, unfortunately, that is a port of call for a story, not a game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, however, as we sort of described there, the roll of the dice, just seeing that number show up and being like, oh, this didn't go well for me. From a player's point of view, that is going to be a lot more powerful and stick in their heads mm. um, because it is based around that choice. Mm. Um, as opposed to, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, that it's when the game starts working at its best, when yeah. the the dice through sheer serendipity 
do function um, to support the narrative. Um, well, I was but, thinking yeah. almost the opposite, whether the dice give you the... They support the narrative more often than not, I find. Mm. Like, mm. when you have something in mind, the dice will generally lean into that because they know how to tell a good story, apparently. But also... Mm when they do the opposite i'm thinking of in the episode the in episode 11 of of that time slime when ranga shows up and he's like doing his big menace skill and all the lizard are terrified and gabaru is just like wow you're like really cool and he's like not affected at all and that that's the dice giving him a natural 20. that's the dice giving him like he's completely avoided it but it also then ties in with his it gives the characters bo- bo- um, into his his personality because he's just so fucking stupid that he doesn't even realize when someone's threatening him. Yeah, just like- it's like, and now you've got another story out of that. Exactly, and he becomes a deeper character. Yeah, um, well, not him. He's like very shallow to tell the truth, but the the story behind it is deeper. Exactly, but like I, um, thankfully, like Gabiru does have some certain points, but you also get the sense of just like wait, no, this is a guy that will look fear dead in the face yeah. and be like, oh, um, I, I, I choose to t- take this into my worldview. Yeah. I'm not scared. This is just, oh, you're threatening me? Well, it's clear wow. to me then that you are being controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, or I got my ass kicked. Well, clearly what happened is that that guy is the leader. Yeah. Um, like the true leader and I was hoodwinked um, or we feel like overwhelmed by what's going to happen to the orcs. Well, obviously I need to, they're, they're looking for a stronger leader and I can be that. Um, which it's... comes from that 20 charisma to intelligence. Yes. Um, it's it's but... very well done. To determine the character again i think it is based on the dice rolls that you get some a result and then you think how does that work with the fiction that i've already got mm. like how do i i play into that so it's still true mm. but this has happened and another example like another example from my games i've got a um a coward essentially he's a, mm. a thief I, I play a lot of cowards i'm not sure what that says about me he he had our cleric accidentally killed his best friend, the uh, my, my character's best friend. And for the next few weeks, my character's like, we might need to, you know, finish the cleric off because they're now out of control. And the cleric made a, a very good way of intimidating my character. And I had to think, okay, that happened. I rolled poorly on my wisdom save, so I am now scared of them. How do I respond to that? Do I like try to avoid them as much as possible? And I decided, no, no, he's a coward. He is now going to think that this person is the most, the greatest person ever. So they never scare him again. He's like, no, 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 you're amazing. I'll do everything you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're great. Kind of attitude. And again, it's like if I'd rolled well, he would have kept doing the same thing he was doing. So I've got to, I've got to change my story based on how the dice played out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sort of becomes a situation where almost the best form of role-playing is acting like Garby Roo, being yeah. like, okay, this has happened. It's what my character would do. Yeah, it's, it's what my character would do. How how does this particular dice roll, this particular event, fit into my character's worldview? Yeah. Um, and by and large, thankfully, uh, unless you have an incredibly stupid character, most of the times you're character will be pretty aligned with reality but not always and not knowing why your character is making that decision um and letting that and knowing what's informing that is going to be the best thing for you as a player just thinking about Gabriel's pride and all this others there's a lot to do with him there's a lot to do with him i i would love to do because um, they're kobolds, it is. Oh, is that what they are? They're they're kobolds. Yeah, they like they they say they're lizard people or lizard men. Oh, they're kobolds. Right. So, yeah. Um, so they they start off as lizard folk. Um, yep. Oh, they go they're going to evolve at some point. Yeah, they're, gonna they're definitely going to evolve. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone does in this. Exactly. 
No, you you want to see everyone's little little upgraded things. Okay, what what do people get upgraded into? Um, All right, I have another question. Do dwarves and like elves and humans in this world do they start with names? It looks like they do. Um, okay, that's super racist. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Again, that's like this is a world that is bent full into the fantasy um, eugenics thing. Um, and you're saying Tolkien's orcs had names? Sorry, Tolkien's orcs had names. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like they did, they did. Yeah. it's it's very much like it's all based on video game logic. Yeah, you know, there's the thing. It's video game logic. Elves have names because they're NPCs. Um, yeah. And whereas um, your monsters um, who are more in tune with your magicules don't have names, but experience a huge transformation when they do. Um. Okay. Yeah, well, well, we've we've gone over names before, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it is oh, such video game logic. I feel that that's uh, my. Pro I have problems with video game logic turning into fiction. It's um, it's not my favorite thing. But before I get back onto those, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about from these two episodes? I think we've covered most of everything. I think actually, just to go back on the original point, um, if you want to make Garby Roo, as we've said, um, yeah, it's going to be a um lizard person slash a kobold um bard um primarily bard um with a little bit in fighter yeah a couple of things um, maybe um bard college of valor oh yeah actually maybe a little bit of paladin stuff could be interesting yeah yeah he's got yeah. that that pride of a paladin uh <laughs> he's yeah. great i i like him um there were a couple of other things i wanted to touch on um just uh very slight things the one-on-one -on -one combat between gobter and gabaru mm -hmm. i think that's a really good way of making combat happen uh when it's like a a pit fight or just like a challenge like that when it's not everyone involved you make it quick yeah like oh, it's not even who gets to go first it's just like one two three and unless there's going to be a role play element first hit wins kind of thing because you don't want to be sitting there for an hour and a half as you like move around and everyone else is like i guess i cheer again on my turn yeah you don't want to get into dragon ball z stuff where yeah. it's just like people sitting on the sidelines while the planet blows up for the next five minutes yeah uh and the other one is when trainee shows up and they've all been sitting around at like this council of war and like talking about, well, what do we do? Maybe it's an orc lord. Maybe it's not an orc lord. What's what's the deal with them? What do they want? And trainee basically shows them and goes, it's an orc lord. Yeah. This is like we need you to deal with it. It's an orc lord. And that felt like the game master stepping in, going, no, 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 no. You're on the right track. I'm not going to have another half hour where you talk to the doorknob and see if it's sentient. Like, no, no, you, you, yes, this, this uh, is I, the plan. This is the plot. Triad appears in the room and confirms everything that you know about the story so far. Why have we been going over this for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is spot on. What it felt like. <laughs> It's like sometimes you got to step um, in and sometimes you got to do that. But so I did like that council of war feeling where everybody kind of collected their knowledge and they started talking about their theories and figuring out like what steps do we take next? Where does the adventure go next? And then when they hit on the right answer, that's when the game master stepped in. It's like, oh, yes, that the word of God has said they very much like the sound of that. Yes, yes. On that train of thought. We could do another half hour while you check with all the different deities and really investigate, or I could just tell you now you're right and let's move on. The, the sky opens up. A, an angel, a celestial descends and whispers <laughs> to you. Yeah, that's about right there, mate. Yeah, you're good. You're good with that one. Oh. Uh, You've got it. Let's move on. <laughs> let us move on because uh, that is the pretty much everything from the episode um there's only one thing left to do and that is do the critical hit or the critical miss uh talk uh, yes. the where we pick a character from the episodes that we've just watched and whether they made a crit hit or a crit miss um and uh caleb would you like to go first i am trying to remember where i've done and if i have done a natural 20 for gobta uh, I don't think you have. I'm going to go back through quickly and see. Let's see. I did it for Shina. Um, I don't remember who you did it for last week. Uh, then 
Oh, geez. I, I don't think I've written down yours. I'm sorry. How dare you? Um, well, I am going. I think I was actually saving my natural 20 for Gobter in this one. Yeah, you've definitely done uh, a nat 1 for Gobter previously. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was saving my nat 20 for Gobter here. Um, mm -hmm. Because this is where Gobter actually starts doing stuff. I know, um, he starts to get powers. It's cool. He starts to get powers. Um, so I think that is going to be. That's going to be a crit. That's just going to be a crit hit. Um, is that just after he gets poisoned and comes back to life with one hit point? No, that would be the um, the crit hit um, against uh, Gabiru. Yeah, that was pretty that, cool. That, that was 100% a crit hit. That's essentially where the DM has said, okay, what are you doing here? And this player has gone off onto some tangent being like, Okay, you know that like shadow moving thing that the wolves have been doing? Well, because of my connection to my wolf, I'm gonna go shadow into it and come up behind Gubby Roo and knock him in the back of the head. And the DM's gone. You know what? I'm glad to see the joke character finally doing something. Go for it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's gonna work. <laughs> it's like, well, you did a critical hit. Oh wait, you're also gonna a rogue, and you're also a monk, so you do that extra damage. Yeah, he's he's unconscious. He's he's yeah. out. <laughs> this is one hit. It was awesome. I I did like that. From the joke character Schmutz McGee. Yeah, <laughs> it's so great when a joke character gets a, a success. Mm -hmm. Just play what into everything. You? What is your net twenty net one? Um, I'm gonna give it to Gabaru, actually. Um, now I don't, I'm not sure whether it's a, a crit hit or a crit miss because when Ranga's all like, I've got a menace skill, rah, and Gabaru's not affected at all. I don't know whether it's like a, a crit, a crit hit because he's all like, I'm not affected at all. Or is it a crit miss on his insight role to figure out what exactly is going on? And he's just completely clueless. It's like, either way, it's a standout moment for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I that's what I'm picking him for. It honestly comes to mind of like you know how the command spell doesn't work. Yeah, that doesn't speak your language or is incapable of speaking language. Yeah, I feel like that's my <laughs> been what happened with Gabiru. Oh, that's perfect. Just like I don't understand and understand enough to uh, to be controlled here. <laughs> I don't understand fear, so I'm just um, I'm going to ignore it. I don't know the meaning of the word. Actually, doesn't <laughs> up in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, that is us for this week. Um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Join us next week when we're going to talk about The Great Clash, episodes 13 and 14, The Great Clash, and The One Who Devours All, which sounds really cool, so I'm going to be disappointed by it, no doubt. Um, <laughs> this, this, this is when it starts getting like really good fun. We're gonna see oh, like cool. a lot of combat. Uh, yeah, we can discuss how to do like war stuff in games as well. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think you might enjoy these next couple of episodes. Um, I am predicting now. I am predicting now that um, it's going to end with the Orc Lord being absorbed by Rimuru. Uh, just, just a hunch. I don't know why. I don't know why I think that. Um, we've seen that a few times, but we, I would like to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, so again, thank you for listening. If you've got any feedback that you'd like to send to us, uh, you can send the emails to dndntvpod at gmail.com, or you can see it on Instagram, uh, where there's going to be lots of screen grabs and et cetera from the episodes. Um, and you can just get in touch with us that way as well. It's at dndntvpod. Caleb, where can people find you online? They can find me at, uh, what's a Caleb on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, should hopefully be doing some stuff there soon. Ooh, stay tuned, good listeners. And not only that, if you want to find both of us, um, you can come down to Fortress uh, on Sundays, Fortress Emporium in Melbourne, and book a game of Dungeons and Flagons because this episode is brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service of Melbourne, um, where you can not only learn about lots of stuff from that time slime but also book us to run dungeons and dragons for you cyberpunk um what's what's that that cool studio ghibli game you get trying to keep oh, getting me Ryutama, to play, if you want to play Ryotama. Ryotama. yeah Ryotama. Hit me up. or i've just um, picked up a copy of blades in the dark so that's another option ooh, as well nice. 
Very it's nice. It's exciting. Very exciting. We can run those for you for a very reasonable cost. And then you can leave us a review on Yelp, no doubt. Or you can leave a review for this podcast on wherever podcasts are found, whatever podcaster catcher of your choice is. Uh, five stars would be wonderful. You can um, tell friends, which is even better because it gets out to more listeners. But if there's enough reviews, I'll read them out on air and I'll be like, hey, you, you person who read that review, you're awesome. Yes. That's if you get that parasocial relationship going, hey? hey? Yeah. I mean, that's if they say we're awesome. If they say I'm like, shit, I'm probably not going to read it out. And I'm also just going to like make fun of them um, in my own games. Cause that's it. You know what? Role playing games, really good way of making fun of people who aren't in the game. Bullying's okay, kids. I'm done. Because it's a <laughs> fantasy world. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You definitely don't make the people who make your life hell at your job like the villains of any game. No one does that. No one would do that. Who's to say that my, my, um, Freaking kobold, um, your kobold noble, Dylan, um, you know, just is causing. It's just is incompetent, just because that's the character. I yeah. mean, that's what Dylan says. Yeah, that's just Dylan. Yeah, that's just Dylan. <laughs> That's just Dylan. Nothing to do with that Dylan that I... Anyway, um, so, yes, I don't know why our voices are all high and squeaky like that. Until next time, stay safe, dear listeners. Um, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to each other. May all your hits be crits. And we'll see you next time you get reincarnated as a slime. See you next time, guys. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.